Good evening, everybody. Midterm week, and you made it to RUF. You know, I'm just, yeah, I'm proud. Yeah, proud of you. <clears throat> Will someone um, help me with this? I'm going to. It just does doing that. It doesn't come out. Yep. We're just going to adjust. Rose is going to take care of that for me real quick. I'm just going to move over here. I'm going to use this one. Okay. I like to fiddle. That was stressing me out. Uh, I hope everybody's doing well. Hope everyone had good reading days. I know that you got 30% of the work that you hoped to get done done, and you were feeling it. 25 to 30. 25 to 30. Uh, we, are, we are jumping back into Colossians, the Colossians this evening, and uh, we've been talking all semester about this one idea that Jesus is enough. That for all of the hopes and needs and longings and desires that we have, that Jesus is enough. He's actually the only one who's enough for us. And so we're going to jump back in and look at um, the beginning of Colossians 2, and we're going to see that Jesus is enough for the battle of our lives. Jesus is enough for the battle. So uh, your handout has Colossians 2, 1 to 5 on it. You can look at that on your Bible, but please read along with me from beginning of Colossians 2. <clears throat> For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. He gives it to you because he loves you. Let me pray, then we'll get started. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, calling us to you and meeting with us on a busy week, on a busy night. Thank you for your kindness that we see uh, in who you are and your love and even in the beauty of the fall. Uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work through your word right now so we might know you more and love you more and love one another. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> many of you probably know I have four daughters. And uh, I, I was thinking, as I reflect on this passage, about when my, when my first daughter, Ellie Kate, was born in January of 2012. There's, there's so much to celebrate and enjoy about having children. And, and I remember uh, how excited I was about, like, the warm snuggliness of a new baby and getting to just hold that and feel that head on your neck and your cheek. And it really was magical. And I was uh, remembering how much I was excited about seeing the first time she smiled at me. And I remember where I was sitting in our house in Charlottesville, the first time she smiled at me and I smiled back and we had a relationship in that moment. I remember all these, all these sweet things about having, having children, but I, but I also remember the day that everything changed. Uh, I, I think she, Ellie Kate was about six months old, and you know, as challenging and as exhausting having little kids is, I remember this is the day things changed because I was introducing uh, Ellie Kate to, to solid food. You, you eventually, as kids are, are drinking milk, and then you introduce them to food, and it's not really solid food, it's like applesauce consistency, mushed up fruits or vegetables. And so I had this little jar of baby carrots, which is just cooked carrots blended up. And I was had this teeny little spoon, and I was dipping it in a little teeny jar and trying to put it into Ellie Kate's mouth. But she does not know what food is, and she does not want food right now. And so she's resisting. And, and as I'm trying to get the spoon in her mouth, she's like shaking her head back and forth and clamping down her jaws like with the strength of a crocodile. Like it's unbelievable. 
and, and, and she's batting it away, and eventually I would like, you know, ninja my way in and get a little bite of carrots in, into her mouth, and she would sort of tilt her head and, and then spit it down the front of her pajamas, like every time, and the jar was gone and no food had gone into her, and, and that's the moment I realized that parenting was going to be a war. Like, it was going to be a battle. It's me versus you over these carrots for the heavyweight championship of the world. Like, this is what we're doing here for the rest of our lives. As, as I think about this passage, Paul has gone through all these riches of Jesus, all these things to celebrate, that God knows us, that he loves us, that he forgives us, that he is never going to forsake us. And here he says, but don't forget that your faith is a war. Don't forget it's a battle. Don't forget that you are are in a fight. And he uses these words, words like struggle, and at the, at the end, we'll talk about this too, order and firmness. These are, these are warfare terms. These are military terms. And Paul wants to remind you that in, in your faith, as much as there is to celebrate and enjoy and praise to God, you are actually in the fight of your life. And in this fight, on one side is the truth of Jesus. The truth of Jesus. As he was in real life and as he's conveyed in his word as your savior, your Messiah, the one who loves you and knows you and died for you to forgive you and rose from the dead to bring you hope of new life, the one whose spirit is in you. That on, on one side is the truth and on the other side are these threats, these attacks to the truth. And you actually experience this all the time. There's all these things coming at you all the time that are telling you that that thing isn't the only truth, that it isn't the full truth, that it isn't the real truth. There's all these other truths that are a little truer that you need to consider. Those things are coming at you all the time, and, and, and they're things like this. Yeah, Jesus is great, but I mean, the most important thing about your life is school. School comes first. And not only does school comes first, but really who you are and your value kind of has to do with how certain papers and exams go, like this week in particular, right? That's actually an attack. That's actually a threat on the truth. It's, it's things like this. You know, you can believe whatever you want, but everyone around you who's partying and having casual sex is having a really good time, and it's just okay to dabble in it. It's just okay to try it out. God will understand. It's things like this. If you want to feel fulfilled, you need to get into a top-tier Greek organization and then you need to find a boy who's like really sweet and kind, who's going to accept you and delight in you and love you and eventually marry you. And if you have those things, plus both of you have high paying jobs, then like you'll have a meaningful, satisfying life. These messages that are around us all the time are attacks on the truth. And the truth is that Jesus and just Jesus alone is enough for you. And he's enough for you in this fight, in this battle. And what we're going to see tonight is that Jesus is actually enough because he calls us to a community of encouragement and knowledge and vigilance. He calls us to a community of encouragement, knowledge, and vigilance. That's actually why he's enough in this battle against the truth that we have. So first, Jesus calls us a, to a community of, of encouragement. Uh, just, to just to remind you, uh, Paul has never met the people that he's writing this letter to. He mentions the, those in Laodicea too. That's another town, another kind of like one town over. He's, he's never met them. He's He's speaking to people who he's never met face to face, but he still describes this struggle that he has for them. He, he says a similar kind of thing at the end of Colossians 1 where he says, for this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works with him. He then in verse, chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And this struggle is a struggle of prayer, which may not sound like a struggle. Of course, it's a struggle to make time to pray, right? But I think he's talking about this 
agonizing longing he has for them to experience the fullness of Jesus. He's praying for them all the time. And the thing that he prays for is that they would be encouraged by being knit together in love. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? Knit together in love, connected, united, bonded to one another in love. Uh, If you love being a part of RUF, if you love your friends that are believers, if you love your small group, if you love your church, that's the reason you love it, right? Because you experience to some degree this being knit together in love, this being bonded together in a love for one another that isn't just arbitrary, but that is actually relentlessly pointing you towards, back towards this truth, back towards the love of Jesus, back towards Christ. And if you don't have this, if you aren't experiencing this, this is what you're longing for, right? This sense of belonging, this sense of having people who you can trust, this sense of having people who love you and are committed to you. Like, that's the thing that we, that we long for, right? I, I spent reading days in Chattanooga. My family and I went down to Chattanooga for a, a wedding of some former uh, Washington and Lee RUF students, Ryan Johnson and McKenna Quattro. Uh, juniors and seniors may remember McKenna. Ryan graduated a few years earlier. Uh, had the joy of getting asked to officiate that wedding. Three of my daughters were flower girls in the wedding. They were crazy adorable. Um, I don't mind saying. And <clears throat> there, there's a lot of uh, beautiful moments in a, in a weekend like this. But there's one thing that stands out to me. We were at the, at the rehearsal dinner on Friday night. If you've ever been to a wedding, the, the family and the wedding party, they practice what they're going to do so that when everyone shows up the next day, they know where to stand. And then you all go out to dinner. And, and usually the, the rehearsal dinner is basically just the the bride and the groom and their immediate families and some maybe special close relatives and their bridesmaids and groomsmen. So it's just their, it's just their, it's a tight group. So we're at a dinner of about 50 people. And, and Maggie and I are, are there. And at uh, rehearsal dinners, people celebrate the couple by giving toasts. That's what you do, right? And uh, sometimes these sort of devolve into more like roasts. And it's sort of like funny and edgy advice, you know, for their spouse about like their weird, nasty habits, you know. Uh, but th- that was not what happened here because... Um, Ryan and Ken are just really lovely, godly people who have loved their friends well. And, and there was one, um, one person stood up. He was one of the, one of the groomsmen, but also friends, uh, graduated the same year as McKenna. And uh, he turned towards them and he said, look around. Look around at the people in this room. These are the people who are for you. These are the people who love you. These are the people who are going to have your back. And like everyone starts to cry in this moment, right? Because you're, you're, you're feeling this, this moment where what, what we feel is being explicitly said. That, that in ways that Ryan and McKenna had loved and pointed their friends toward Christ, now their friends were standing up and saying, and we promise that we're going to do it to you for your whole life together. That's what you can have in Christ. You can have people who are for you who love you, and who are relentlessly committed to pointing you towards the one who loves you more than they ever could, which is Christ himself. I, um, I, I want to say just a couple things here by way of application before I go on. The, the first thing is that if you don't feel like you have that yet in college, and I know that a lot of you, probably most of you in this room, feel like you don't really have that, or you don't have it as much as you would like, make it a top priority to pray for and to pursue this. This is the make or break of your college experience. This is the make or break of the rest of your life, is if you have people who are for you like this, who are committed to loving you and to pointing you towards 
the one who loves you even more towards Christ. If you don't have this, pray for it and pursue it. Pursuing it means like finding that person who you think could be that kind of friend and having an awkward friend DTR. Like, hey, I really want to be best friends. I want you to be my best friend. Let's get coffee every week. Is that cool? Like, say it out loud to them. They're probably going to say yes, okay? Probably going to say yes, okay? If you don't have it, pray for it and pursue it. If you do have it, I want to ask you to do this. I want to remind you that that is not just for you. And so what you need to do if you have that is to look at see who doesn't and bring them in. The community of God is one that is always, always, always looking out and bringing and drawing in and including, okay? And, and there's, one th- there's one other thing I want to say about this, and this is, uh, this is a little more controversial, okay? This is a little more sensitive. Some of you are going to not like this or, or disagree with this. Uh, this is the reason why it's so vitally important that the people that you date, the people that you marry, are committed to loving you in this kind of way that relentlessly points you towards Christ, it's not enough for them to understand your faith or to approve of your faith or to support your faith. It's not enough. You need people who are knitting themselves to you in love in such a way that relentlessly points you towards Christ, where you are pointing each other towards Christ. And when you, when you have that, you find these new realms of peace and hope and joy and love that you didn't realize you could have had. So that's my, that's my encouragement to you there. Jesus calls us to a community of encouragement because we're knit together in love. The, the second thing is that Jesus calls us to a community of, of knowledge. And I don't mean knowledge like people who are really smart. I mean a knowledge of Christ. That this community of encouragement is one that is growing together, where the people in it and it as a group is growing in its knowledge of Christ. This is, this is what Paul says in, in verse 2 here. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. And then here it is, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Knowledge of the mystery. Uh, If you remember last week, which I'm sure you remember everything I said in my sermon and everything we've read in Colossians, uh, this mystery word has, has appeared before. The mystery that was hidden now revealed to the Gentiles, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This knowledge of God is not just something that is like knowing about God, but it's this personal relationship, this knowing God in an intimate and personal way. Because um, the battles and the threats that you guys are experiencing are not just threats that you experience on the outside. In fact, uh, maybe more often they're threats that are more internal. The doubts that you have, the questions that you have that aren't answered, that stress you out, that make you wonder, is this thing real? There are questions like, I mean, Lewis stands up and said, this is God's word. It's absolutely true every week. Like, what if it's not? How do I know it's true? There are things like, what about what the Bible says about things like relationships and sexuality and gender that seems to be at odds with what I see in the world around me? What about heaven? I mean, heaven is what Christians talk about all the time, and I have no idea what that is, and I can't imagine it. And I certainly don't know what to do with the fact that the Bible says that if you don't believe in Jesus, then you're not getting to go there. And you're going to this other terrible-sounding place called hell. What do I do with that? What about all the suffering in the world? I mean, if God is so good, if he's powerful, if he's in control, then why is so much broken in the world? What about all the other religions? What about the billions of people who believe with all their hearts something different than what the Bible says? We, we have big questions. We have big doubts. If you don't have any, then ignore what I just said, okay? But with, a lot of us, and myself included, we really struggle with big questions and big doubts. And, and that's a battle that you fight. And I actually want to tell you, I I think that God welcomes this. I want you to know that RUF welcomes this. It's okay to have questions and doubts. Everybody does. 
Everyone but Christ needed more of this assurance that he talks about, the riches of full assurance. That's, that's confidence is what that is. And so what this is saying is that, is that when we knit ourselves together in love, we can develop into a community that grows in this kind of confidence. The solution to those questions and those doubts is not to know the answers to them. My sense is you'll never know the answers. Or not in ways that you would like. The solution is to say, you know, I don't know what's going on here. I don't totally understand, but I trust God. I trust that he's good. I trust that he's right. And even though there's things that I don't understand, I'm going to trust him more than I trust my own understanding. That's the kind of assurance. That's the kind of assurance that comes when you grow in knowledge of Christ. And, and Paul calls it riches. The riches of full assurance. And then later he says that Christ is the treasure Treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Riches and treasures. That's actually really powerful language. Makes me think about the the parable in Matthew 13, where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a man who finds a treasure hidden in a field, and he buries it, and he goes and he sells all that he has, and he takes all that money, and he buys the field. What's that saying? Knowing God is so valuable. It is of such a high order of magnitude in my own heart, in my own life, before my eyes, that I'm willing to pay whatever cost to get more of it. That's what our community can become. And that's what we're called to become. And that's actually what happens when you knit yourselves together in love and point each other towards Jesus, is that Jesus becomes fairer, more beautiful, more precious to you. I wonder how we would live if knowing Jesus was the most valuable treasure in our lives. My guess is that we would spend a lot more time reading and pouring over and studying and pondering and talking about the Bible. My guess is we would spend a lot more time talking to Jesus in prayer. My guess is we wouldn't say things like, I just don't have enough time to take six minutes to read my Bible because I have these other things that it turns out are more valuable. They're more precious. They're your treasures. Our school, our obligations, our emails, time on our Instagram. We're saying that's actually more precious to me. What would it look like if Jesus was the most precious thing to you? When when you commit yourself to a community of love that's wanting to grow in knowledge, what what happens is that that assurance grows to where you actually can grow in your confidence and faith so that those doubts, so that those questions don't derail you. You can deal with them. You can talk about them openly and honestly because you trust God more, because you know him more. Jesus calls us to a community of encouragement and of knowledge. Lastly, Jesus calls us to a community of of vigilance. And and what we're seeing here is this is the end result, this experience of a community of love that points each other towards Christ in a way where we grow in knowledge of him. It results in a community of, of vigilance, an awareness of and defense against these threats towards the truth. An awareness of and defense against these threats of the truth so that we can say, uh, Paul says here, that we won't be deluded by plausible arguments. Plausible arguments is kind of a a stuffy translation. Those plausible arguments are the things that seem to make sense. Hmm, I was taught this growing up, but man, when I look around, this certainly seems to make sense, right? But when we grow in our knowledge of Christ, what will happen is that these these things from verse 5 will become true in our lives, that we will grow in uh, good order and firmness of faith. Good order, these are both uh, military terms. Good order, you can think like soldiers in armor arrayed in battle. You can think that our lives, our hearts are ordered in such a way that is in line with who Christ is and what his commandments teach. And then the firmness of, of faith is that sense of like the world can huff and puff and blow all at once, but I'm not going anywhere. 
because I'm standing on the firm foundation that is the immovable, unshakable Savior of the world, Jesus, my Lord. You actually can have that kind of experience more and more when our community is committed to love and to pursuing Christ. I was... Uh, I went on a trip with my two best high school friends after college to Europe. We like backpacked around Europe for three weeks with my friends Patrick and Will. And uh, because I got out late, they, they arrived a couple days before me, and the plan was for me to meet them in Milan. So I, I got my flight into Milan, and the plan was to meet at the, like, the central train station in Milan. But what I didn't know is that the, there's a Milan City Airport, and then there's Milan International Airport, which is like an hour and a half away. And my flight was a little bit late, and I land, and I realize I'm in the middle of the countryside, and I have to get into town. And so I, I miraculously find a bus. I speak uh, no Italian. I read no Italian. And this is before the days of, like, WhatsApp, when you could get in touch with people over your smartphone no matter where you were. Th there's no way to get in touch with my friends. And so I get on this bus. I have no idea. It ends up taking an hour and a half. And I eventually find myself standing outside the train station, exhausted, dejected, and wondering, like, where are my friends? Like, what am I going to do? I'm in this foreign city where I speak no language. I have no way of getting in touch with anyone that I've ever known. Like, what am I going to do if I never find them? And so I start walking around the outside of this train station because we, we decided we were going to meet in front of the main entrance. But that was two and a half hours ago at this point. And it's like four city blocks, this huge, it's like Grand Central Station, this huge station. And there's big steps and doors on all four sides. So I'm just walking around aimlessly. My huge backpack for three weeks on my shoulders. And, and every step I'm getting a little more scared. Every step, I'm starting to like, figure this out. Okay, I could, I could go to like, an internet cafe and email my parents. And like, that's what, then what would that do for me? Like, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't know what to do. You know? um, hey, you, I'm going to email you, and you email Will's parents. And then he'll email Will, and then he'll email him. And then we'll pick a date in four days from now when we can get together. right? And so each step, I'm getting a little more scared. I'm getting a little more panicky. I'm getting a little more frustrated. And I'm wondering what I'm going to do. And I, I walk around the first door, and I don't see anybody in the second side. And I get to the third side, and at first, I don't see anybody. And then I hear, Lou Dog! And Patrick and Will start running down the steps to me. <laughs> and, like, the exhaustion is gone. The panic is gone. The fear is gone. Like, why? I, I found my people. I found my people. This is the secret of the universe, guys. You want help in the battle of your faith? You want help against the lies of the enemy and the world around you? You know what the weapon is? You've got to find your people. You've got to find your people, and you've got to find them. You've got to find them today. And what that will do is will arm you up. You'll be putting on armor because you'll get to be experienced the power of having people who look at you and say, we are the people who are for you. We are the people who love you. And we're going to relentlessly point you towards Christ, the one who in his great grace and mercy has knit himself to you in love. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, the gift of this night. Thank you for the ways that you are uh, enough. And Lord, you know that we're fighting battles in so many ways, battles uh, against addiction, battles against lies, battles against the belief that we are not enough. Uh, help us to see that you are enough and you're what make us enough. And Lord, I pray most of all that uh, this kind of encouragement of community knit together in love that Paul talks about, that uh, in this room and with our friends and with more and more of this campus, that that would happen. That you would provide that for us and you give us the courage to, to love each other faithfully and to relentlessly point each other towards you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.